On today's episode, we're welcomed by Bradley Brown, the CEO of Fletcher's. He has over 40 years experience in working in the service industry and is recognized in real estate as a pioneer and an innovator. He's also responsible for completing the digital transformation of Fletcher's and has successfully positioned the brand to be one of the leading real estate agencies in Australia. Welcome and, and thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Gus. I look forward to it. So as I said, you, you are widely recognized as being a pioneer and an innovator. And we want to kind of just kick off with what are some of the tips for transformation of workplace cultures to promote productivity, workplace satisfaction, and for getting people to go above and beyond? Well, this is something I've worked with since the 80s um, with many, many organizations, which I've been involved with and many I've consulted to as well. And I think that most people think you have this culture and it's just sort of there, but the reality is you can create and manage a culture to be what you want it to be. And that's how I've worked from the very beginning, designing what I'd like the environment to look like. And it's essentially based around your values and your behaviors, which is what culture really boils down to being. So your values are those things that you define as important to the organization. It might be integrity, local knowledge, quality service, etc. And the behaviors are those that support the values. What do we actually expect our people to deliver? Because if I, for example, talk about integrity and I put people in five different rooms and ask them each, what does integrity mean? I'll probably get five different definitions. So it's very much uh, very important in uh, defining what the behaviors are that you expect to match the values. For example, if we talk about local knowledge, well, we want our people to deliver what they promise, understand all of the sales, understand the logistics in the area, being the schools, the trains, public transport, etc. So we can support the values that we talk about. And we have this behavioral model that everybody can understand and feel and see, and therefore the values can come to life. And that's essentially what your culture is. You can then model your culture and change it based on the attitude and infrastructure that you have going on in your organization. The attitude is about those internally held perceptions about things like communication, leadership, uh, training mentality, our service mentality. And our infrastructure are those hard things like the technology we purchase, the environment in terms of our fit outs and, um, and the, the training programs we actually purchase and all of those things you can sort of feel and, and see um, that support the attitudes. To go a little bit deeper on that, so we've built the business, we've got a great culture and now we want to find more people to bolster into that culture and into that environment. What are some of the tips for finding, nurturing, and cultivating talent within the real estate industry? Yeah, it's a big question, and I'll try to break it down. Many, many years ago, I invented a model called RIRO, Recruitment, Induction, Retention, and Outplacement. And with people now calling induction onboarding, I refuse to change it to RORO. But anyway, RIRO has been around since the 80s for me as a way to explain a good HR model to people who don't practice HR as a daily thing as I used to. Recruitment is about finding people that are ahead of your uh, culture that will fit into your environment. It's really important to design a people specification before you ever work on a job specification. Now, most people know this term job specification, defining what the job is all about, putting up boundaries and parameters for someone to do their job, maybe associating it with key performance indicators or key success factors. But a people specification is far more important. What is the type of person that's going to suit our culture, 
going to support our colleagues within the business and provide the type of services we expect to our external clients. And that's something that takes a lot more thought to really define and design this people specification so you know what you're looking for. And therefore, once you know what you're looking for and you have the job specification, you can then set out to actually recruit people that are going to fit in and help build the business for the future. Because that's really what new people are about. Where are we going tomorrow? Yep. So I always try to find people who are equal or ahead of our current culture, who I can see as sort of role models to help others. Maybe somebody's stronger in technology or they, they're, they're more focused on certain skills or, or behaviors that are going to help us. As we've evolved and become as sophisticated as we are, most people we're able to recruit are not ahead of our culture anymore. So we look for people who we believe will fit in really well. They have the right attitude and aptitude to fit into Fletcher's. I will often hire people who are untrained in our, in our world, um, might have been in property management, want to move into sales, might have been completely outside of real estate, because I can see that they've got this great attitude and I, and I can, through testing of them through the interview process, I can see that they've got the aptitude to do the things that we do. So in the recruitment process, I am very, very um, open. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm very expansive on what it takes to succeed in our industry. And I work really hard to find people that I believe will succeed. And if, and if I don't feel that through the interview process, we don't engage them. The next thing is then having your environment when they get there not being disappointing, right? So we work really hard on the induction process, setting up an induction program that goes over about six months, including a mentorship with with a like body there that's going to help them a lot. Um, And then what's important is the next stage is about retention. And retention is very big topic. Retention is something that, you know, you could talk to for two hours in its own right. But retention is about... All of the policies you have within your business that are designed to retain and develop the people that you have. So there's all sorts of concepts around that, and I'll expand upon that if you'd like. Yeah, that'd be great. Yep. So most people don't work on a comprehensive remuneration and recognition program. They think, well, if we throw a salary package at somebody, that's enough. If we pat them on the back from time to time, that a boy, uh, that's enough. It's not really Remuneration, a comprehensive program around it, looks at all factors of what's important to people. And it may well be the technology support they get um, through phones and, and laptops and all of that these days. It can be around uh, contributions to training, marketing, support around their infrastructure, maybe having PAs or other assistants that can help them. All of those things form part of a very holistic approach to remuneration. Then you have all your retention things on top of that, which are things like your training programs, um, your communications with people, um, your uh, reward recognition for people who are achieving and going beyond the call. Programs to help get people engaged in the business by mentoring others. Um, being good, we call corporate citizens, looking after the brand and looking after the the, the clients, being good teammates, helping their colleagues to do well. Those things don't just happen by good fortune. They happen by having the right values and behaviors to create the right culture and then finding people that fit into that. 
And in that, making sure that you have only the right people, because certainly one of the real beefs of people is having the wrong people. And that's where outplacement comes in as the fourth part of the, the, the RIRO model. And it's very important to keep it a healthy culture. There are three types of workers that we have in any workforce, right? You have your um, rising stars. These are people who are still growing in their ability to do more. It might be salespeople who are taking on more and more listings, growing their fee base by 100, 200,000 a year, whatever it might be. It could be uh, property managers who have taken on 130 properties. They've now got that settled and now they're able to go up to 140 or 150 or 160. Might be a business manager in one of your departments who's starting to really um, understand how do we drive the people that are underneath us. And as they're learning more and growing more, they're helping people around them. You then have your second category of people, which are your plateaued performers. That is not a derogatory term. That is a recognized human resources term for people who do their job really well, day in and day out. We don't expect it to be different all the time. We don't expect them to constantly be achieving more. We expect them to be our receptionist and do a great job with the responsibilities of that or our customer service manager or whatever it might be. And then from time to time, things change where the bar gets lifted. We expect more out of that role because of changes in the organization, changes in the technology that support it. And we expect them to rise to that new level. And during that time, we support them, we see them rise, and then they sort of fall back into that plateaued performer role. And inside of that framework, given that um, there's a bit of a difference between, let's say, someone who's in their 50s and someone who's entering the workforce now and, you know, 20 years old and their values and the perception of what's valuable to them, does that have to differ or how do you handle that from a culture perspective as well? Yeah, I think that there's not one rule that fits all. And I think one of the problems we can encounter as leaders and managers is when we try to fit everybody into a box. Yeah. You know, I I manage one-on-one several team leaders around Fletcher's and I also work with all our directors across the organization, which is about 35 at this point. Yeah. And I don't treat them the same. I work with them as to how I feel would be most effective for them. So I vary my method and my approach to people based on what I feel would be most helpful. And I think that we all need to take that role. And we, we run a leadership development program. Last year I ran it and we did it by Zoom for the first time and I had 41 attendees. It's designed for Fletcher's staff and our supplier's staff who want to grow their leadership skills. And in there, we talk a lot about that and how you work with people based on what you see, what you're seeing as being effective. How do they take information? Are they more visual, auditory, kinesthetic? What's the best way to relate to them, work with them? Some people, it's being very direct. Some people, it's being very kind. Some people like it not so much that way. Mm. You know, they, they want the cut and thrust every day of, of knowing they're being challenged. So you work with people to achieve that. Coming back to the three-person model, the third one is the variable performer. And this is the person that goes up and down. You, you look at it on a graph. They go up and down with little hills and valleys, but ultimately the hills get smaller. The valleys grow. It starts to decline. These are people that can take in a bad culture 80% of management's time. And in a good culture, literally zero. Because what we work to, if we find a variable employee, someone who is up and down, 
they'll be counseled by myself. They'll be made to understand what that means. I'll show them the models of the three types of workers. I'll let them know that we believe they're a variable person at this point. And if that continues, they'll be let go. We want to help them. This is what they need to do. But we are not here to see somebody rising and falling every day. We're here to see people deliver their best. There is a Covey term, and I'm a very big supporter of, of Stephen Covey's material and use a lot of that in our leadership program and in the way we run Fletcher's. And he calls it the level of employment. That is what each person is capable of ultimately giving. So each of us has 100% ability. Mm. Mine's different than yours, Gus, and yours is different than your colleagues. What do we give every day, day in and day out on average of ourselves? Is it 70%? Is it 30%? The last white collar worker study that the Covey Institute did in North America was 25%. I run this as part of our leadership program and we average over 85% of the people in the room. And that's the goal really is people should be able to give 85 to 100% of what they're capable of day in and day out to feel satisfied, to feel satisfied in their career, in their, let's call it their job that's happening at that time. They go home at the end of the day, not feeling as if I had so much to give that wasn't sought by anyone. Mm. No one asked me my opinion. I had some real ideas on how we could improve this, but it wasn't welcome. Um, I know I can write a lot more fees if I'm just given a bit more support, a bit more of this. So we tried to nurture all of that and get a firm-wide score, 85 plus, right? And if you can do that, I think you can do really well. And just to touch and get a little bit more insight, Bradley, around the part of hard conversations with people, I think that um, business owners can often be reluctant to have a hard conversation, particularly if they're a good writer and if they're a bad influence on the culture. What are some of the ways that you handle that? And ultimately, that person might not be right for the business and the, the values that are attached to the business and therefore the culture, but that's a hard thing to remove and have to think about Moving, you know, might be a five hundred thousand dollars GCI agent out of your business. What are some of the insights and tips that you would give to people around that? Yeah, it's a really challenging concept in in our industry because often we're very reliant and on one person or 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 a couple people. Mm. It's a long time ago now, but nineteen years ago when I joined Fletcher's, there were three salespeople, one in each of our three offices, who was writing forty seven percent of the fees between the three of them of a sales team of twenty seven people. Wow. So there was some real gorilla potential. And in fact, in reality, there was three gorillas. Um, I remember having this conversation with them and I've dealt with this in my law firms and accounting firms for many years. And after consultation with Tim and Rob, my co-directors, the Fletchers, we, uh, and they were kind of nervous about this to be frank, but I got the three of them in a room and I explained to them the type of person that's going to fit into the Fletchers of the future what the culture we were building was going to look like, the values and behaviors we expected of our, ourselves and our colleagues, and that if they couldn't fit into that model, then they would have to leave. And what I said to them is that I want you guys to understand something, that I've fired partners in law firms when no one else could. I got the power to do it. You three right now are economically important to me, but in 12 months you won't be because I'm building a team around you that it's going to make your guys' fees drop as a percentage of the total. Hopefully, fees rise as individuals. So if you're not good corporate citizens, by the time that I'm not economically dependent on you, you will be let go. And two of those three were let go. 
And the third who did change his methods quite a bit is still with us, still mm-hmm. a productive employee. And the other two are somewhere else. Yeah. During my tenure of people that I've employed, and I've employed essentially pretty much everyone that works in my Fletcher's offices, we own some of ours and some are franchised. Um, I, over that time, I've had to let go of some very significant writers. Yep. A uh, million dollar agent, um, a couple between the five and million dollar levels where they weren't fitting in to our culture. They weren't buying into the values and behaviors that we expect, the way you treat your colleagues, the way you treat our clients. And so how do you deal with that? Not all that dissimilar to a variable employee, because if somebody is not treating their colleagues well, that's part of that whole model of, of hills and valleys. If they're not treating our clients the way we want, for example, not returning buyers' calls or, or, or not getting on to their, their messages quick enough and all of that, then that is no different than any other sort of um, behavior that lets people down. That's a variable performer. Yes, they might write a lot of fees, but in other things that are part of their job, they're letting us down. So we will cover with them with what that is. We'll talk to them about it. I'll always have someone else in the room. Um, if, it's, if it's a salesperson of that level, I'd have their office director. If it's an internal services or property management person, I would have um, their, their manager or a, or a co-HR person in with me. I always have two people. Um, to witness and understand that. Um, I talked to him about it. I explained the behaviors that are letting us down, how it doesn't fit into the values that we're all about, what we do expect, um, how we can try to help them. So for example, someone I was um, having that discussion with who, so before coming to our organization, this person was in the industry for over 15 years, working in the same area, had never written more than 300,000 in fees. Under Fletcher's methodology, or what we call Fletcher's way, within two years, he was writing over 800. Wow. And we have many, many success stories like that. But this person was not treating their colleagues well, particularly their PAs, which we'd gone through about five of. They weren't returning buyer calls at all, and we were getting constant complaints from buyers about it. And we recommended along the way a number of ways to more effectively deal with their PAs and how to deal with buyers. If you don't want to deal with the buyers, divert your phone to your PA and let them take all the calls. Simple. Yep. You know, you don't have to do it. We just need to make sure it's getting done through your team. We don't care whether you make the calls back to the buyers, as long as the calls are made back to the buyers. That's very important to us in our quality service model. And when that can't be done, and they're not doing it, we warn them, we let them know we're not playing games, that if we have this kind of conversation again, they'll be let go. And sometimes they jump ship themselves, and sometimes we push them out. Regardless, if you don't do it, you don't have a healthy culture. The people around you don't believe in your values and behaviors because you're allowing bad behaviors to exist. You're allowing people to break your values. So they think, well, if all you have to do is be a big writer or some other important role within the business and you can get away with that, then why should I do it? It's the same thing about change management. When you're trying to bring in anything new, New policies, procedures, new systems, you know, systems around technology, systems around just improvement of processes, whatever it might be, um, you're going to get 25% who are believers, who like change, who like new things, who adapt. You're going to get 25% who are the ones who just don't like anything really that's Mm -hmm. different or new. And you're going to get 50% who are the swing boat. They're in the middle waiting to see what's going to happen. Is this going to be taken up and is this for real or is this something that will just fall by the wayside? 
So in change management initiatives, it's critically important to get wins and to be believable that the changes we make are going to be made. And there is no room for resistance, right? And so early on, and you know, I've now 19 years of changing Fletcher's, nobody doubts our change initiatives. We are very quick to be able to implement new technologies. And you've seen a lot of that yeah. with, with what you've done. Yep. We're constantly told by our suppliers that we're one of their, their best clients, their best um, test cases, their best um, feeders of improvement suggestions, because we do implement thoroughly and we implement quickly. And I, I think I broke the spirit of people about 2003 that, that they could be the 50% swing vote. And the 25% who refused to adopt or change, they didn't stay. They left, yep. you know, and they continue to, you know, if we hire people who don't want to fit in and do the things we need done and the things we need done aren't some bureaucratic decision made above high, they're, they're, they're involved with people. We talk to the people who are using the products. We talk to them, we get them involved. We implement based on consensus of the best way to do it between the supplier and our team. And then there's no joking around. We don't want to struggle we don't want all these people who just constantly won't do it. So we'll put in timeframes. We'll put in deadlines. We'll put in, there's a date that your old system's not going to work anymore. If you're going to use it, you're going to use it till the 24th of this month. And on the 25th of this month, you have to use the new one. So you might as well start using it now. And we provide lots of training and support and we'll provide one-on-ones. And we do a lot of um, seeing who's not coming to the party. And then we'll try to help them on a one-on-one basis. I'm not a big fan of sending an email out to 100 people because of two people. Yeah. I'd much rather adopt, adopt approach of contacting them directly, finding out why aren't you using this technology or why aren't you ch- changing over to this new procedure? Why are you still using an old whatever it might be and trying to help them? And I think to your point is that I, I experienced that firsthand with dealing with Fletcher's brand is two, two major things was – the people that weren't using it, we got in a room with you and we understood and went through what are the challenges? Is it something that we need to build from a product perspective in order to get them over the line or make them confident and comfortable to use it? And then the other side of it was Jeremy, who we we joke around and say he's our chief testing officer, who provides us with continuous feedback. But the engagement up front from leaders inside of your organization, such as Jeremy, who has the power to influence other people. We got him on board early, made sure it worked for him, and he was happy to be an advocate inside of your business to then influence other people to become adopting and using that technology as well. Yeah, and what you've just said is part of this whole change management philosophy and that you need top-down and also bottom-up. Bottom-up is the fact that a lot of the, let's call it the people who are lower down the rung in terms of hierarchy are younger. Mm. They're often more enthusiastic about new systems and change and can adopt to it quicker. So seeing them do it, for example, a lot of PAs can adopt and understand the technology perhaps faster than their salespeople. Bottom-up works well, but also top-down, having the support from those people who are influencers in the business, who are writing a lot of fees, who are doing really well, who are senior property managers, who are you know senior leaders in the business can be quite influential. So we work on both sides of that, and we try to sort of squeeze right into the middle. We're, we're coming up to running out of time here, Bradley, but we always ask two questions for anyone who comes on the PropTech Insider. So let's jump into them. The first one is, what's your definition of success? 
I'm a massive fan of John Wooden, and John Wooden is regarded as the greatest coach in North American history. He actually coached the team to 11 national championships in 13 years, and I was a kid going through that, and he had a tremendous philosophy around people, and he called it the pyramid of success, and he had a definition of success, which I've always found I can't see a better one, and that definition is success as peace of mind obtained only through self-satisfaction in knowing you've made the effort to do the best which you're capable of. And that whole idea that we are our best person, we live our best life. I can't be somebody else. You know, I was headhunted to run major corporates, banks, and things like that. It wasn't me. I didn't want to leave my family. I didn't want to travel five days a week. I didn't want to, I didn't want to work the 70-hour sort of lifestyles. I was really about being a great dad while I was, and a, you know, a loving husband and, you know, while I was doing well in my career. So I worked within myself to be the best I could be in an environment which would suit me. And when I try to hire people, it's on the same basis. Do they fit into our environment? Can we make them really successful? I just want to leave you with, a, with an HR concept as part of this question. Yeah. And this is like, to me, frankly, this is real gold. And something I learned in the very start of my career, going back way long ago now, in the early 80s, that as an employer, we have a dual obligation. Number one, it's to make sure that people day in and day out are having the best possible environment they can have to thrive. And if you have that, you're not going to lose too many people. The second part of it is that on the long-term basis, they're better off being with you than with someone else. So in other words, they become more marketable by staying with you. So if I can make sure day to day people are loving what they're doing, they love the environment, they know that they're doing really well where they are, and also they're building a great CV. They're building a great, great career platform that will help them in the future. Then there's nothing more I can do as an employer than that. And I always work really hard to ensure that we have a great short-term but also long-term situation for our staff. Long-term having a strong brand, a great infrastructure that supports people to grow and develop and all of that. So all that's part of that whole sort of definition of success. Yeah. You come to Fletcher's, we'll help make you successful. And uh, one final question for you is tell us one thing that you're going to start, stop and continue. Well, we've obviously been living through this COVID situation for the last couple of years and I have a lot of family in North America and it'd be nice to be able to go and see them again. Um, other than by Zoom. Yep. And you know, I'm a avid traveler. Yep. And I've got a lot more bucket list items I want to knock off before I, I knock off. So I'd like to start doing that again as yep. well. Um, you also have stopped doing, um, given the traffic I encountered on the way here this morning, maybe stopping to do stopping podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> no, actually, I enjoy doing this a lot. The freeway was broken this morning oh, and no. I had to surface street all the way across Melbourne. So that was a bit harrowing. And continuing to do is keep Fletcher's culture healthy and our business strong. Awesome. Well, Bradley, I feel like we could have continued to go for a lot longer, but I really appreciate you taking the time and the insights. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it and really appreciate the support from Domain. Thanks for listening to the episode of PropTech Insider. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you want to learn more about our implementing tech into your workflow, visit agentsolutions.com.au.